Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hi, we are also here with producer Annabelle Lee. Hello. Hello. Hi. Coming up on today's show, the Gabby Petito true crime case that tore through TikTok this week. Then the Brownlow blue carpet begs a question about redemption stories. I put a lot of alliteration into this intro. <laughs> Kim Kardashian lets us know we've all been utterly deceived. And finally, magazines have called Emma Chamberlain the most popular girl in the world. So who is Emma Chamberlain and how has she managed to redefine influence as we know it? But first, Sarah McDonald, how was your week? Oh, I just got a bit <clears throat> nervous. Because <laughs> I was like, again, I have absolutely nothing to say. Oh. Annabelle said to me this morning, Zara, any news from the last few days? And I said, Annabelle, not a thing. How about you? And I said, nope. <laughs> what a lovely time to be alive. I have a story that's not about your week, but I think will make you feel a little bit better oh. about a mistake that you've made in the past. So Mitch... <laughs> it seems like a bit of a backhand of it onwards. Mitch turned to me this week and looked up from his phone and this is very niche, but he was talking about the baby names of a local football star and his wife. They've had twins, Nathan Jones and Jerry Jones had twins. He looked up from his phone and he goes, do you want to know the names? I'm like, sure. And he goes, Odie. I'm like, that's a cute name. Love that. And he goes, and Dove. <laughs> <laughs> A win for Zara. <laughs> Zara like, one, Katy Perry and the Joneses zero. I was like, do you mean Dove? And he goes, ah, oh, fuck. For those who don't know this or have any understanding of what Michelle is talking about right now, it's Katy Perry and Orlando Bloom, right? They named their baby Daisy Dove, but you got on this podcast, read out the baby name as Daisy Dove. Yeah, and now every single time I see that name, I nervously think in my mind you know when you know there's something that you always trip over and you're like what is it what is it what is it and then you default to the wrong thing anyway (laughs) that's what I always do I used to do that when I worked in retail I worked in like quite a fancy formal store and they were very particular about what you were supposed to say when people walked in but I always overthought it to the point where people would walk in and sometimes I would say bye have a nice day because it's like you just your mind gets so confused yeah it's when you get nervous and then you end up saying the wrong thing oh that's so great maybe dove is the next name (laughs) oh don't do that. <laughs> Do you feel better? Have I made your week? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've made my week, but it's definitely a lovely part to the week. I kind of have a recommendation this week. I didn't consume, I will put it out there on the record, I mean... I don't want everybody to think that this is a world where we just consume brilliant things all the time and <laughs> it's a highlights reel <laughs> recommendations. You've had a good run. I would say I you're on almost a hat trick. Are you about to tell us that you're about to strike out or what's the word? Swing it, and miss. It's more like I do have a recommendation, but I don't want any of our listeners to pick this up and think Zara McDonald thinks this is the best thing she's ever watched. Giving yourself a lot of credit here. <laughs> Zara McDonald thinks this is worth your time. <laughs> okay. How about that as a yeah. brand of recommendation? Sure. I watched the latest Michael Schumacher documentary on Netflix. Great. We haven't spoken about this yet. Annabelle has just given me the biggest (laughs) greasy ever. Annabelle, who's Michael Schumacher? Oh, well, considering I don't know who he is, is he a car race driver? Okay. (laughs) He is a former Formula One driver, regarded as like the greatest of all time. Equal with Lewis Hamilton, I'd say. And what happened in 2013 is he was on a family holiday, a ski trip in Switzerland, and he fell and hit his head. He was wearing a helmet but he still hit his head on a rock and was in a coma for a very very long time after that and his family have been very very private about 
what Michael Schumacher's life looks like now. Like it's very hard to get details. But what they've done with this latest documentary is they've basically wanted to kind of track his career. And I imagine Mish kind of let people remember Michael Schumacher as he was rather than think about how he is now. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really interesting documentary. I watched it with Mitch on Saturday. I really enjoyed it. I actually really loved, I know this is a weird comment on a documentary that's very much about driving and about sportsmanship and athleticism, but I just loved the look back at the 90s. Like it's so basic bitch of me, but like Tic Tac was the major sponsor of half the teams. I'm like, since when was Tic Tac the main like, And the Seven biggest brand? Up. Seven Up and yeah. Tic Tac. It was their glory days. And yeah, it's an interesting look back. And I I loved learning about the man himself. I think it's similar to the series we just did on Heath Ledger, in that a lot of our generation probably know these people more based on the tragedies that yes. they stumbled upon rather than the glory days, the days where they achieved brilliance. So I think it was really great for me and for Mitch to learn, not even remember, learn about all the incredible stuff he did. I think that's why I liked it so much is it is a bit sports focused. So keep that in mind. But I think for me, what was interesting is after I watched it, I read a bunch of reviews about it. And there was a review in the Sydney Morning Herald that gave it three and a half stars or three stars and said, we just simply didn't get enough insight into how Michael Schumacher is now. And it really did make me think, and it sparked an interesting conversation between Oli and I, because I was like, I don't know if we deserve that. Like, why Mm. do they owe us anything about what's going on? And I think some people will argue, and maybe this makes me a terrible journalist, that if you're going to tell a story, tell it properly. But I'm like, I think we're lucky enough to get this compilation of footage from Mm. his career to look back at that. Yes, we don't get huge insight into how he is now, but maybe that's not any of our business. I also think that saying of if you're going to tell a story, tell it properly, it begs the question, well, what story are we telling? The story we're telling is the incredible stuff he achieved on the racetrack. It's not really relevant who he was behind the scenes. We didn't really hear a whole much about how he was as a dad or a best friend or a husband. Like it's very, very much about him as a sportsman. So if that's the story they're telling, I think they did it really well. I agree with you. I don't think it's the best documentary I've ever seen, but I do think it's worth your time, particularly if you followed our recommendation for Drive to Survive. And just if you want something to watch because you're fucking bored like we all are. Yeah, look, so that is my <laughs> the, the good enough recommendations, which might be new to the show. How was your week? What are you recommending? I had a good week, nothing to report, Great. I must say. My recommendation is Sex Education Season 3. I'm pretty sure I've been on this microphone before and recommended Season 1 and Season 2. Season 3 finally dropped after two years of waiting. Annabelle Lee, I'm guessing you've watched it. Smashed it. It was an <laughs> achievement, but I did it in like a day. Same. Mitch and I sat down, we had our snacks, we we basically pre-prepped for this. We almost carb-loaded to sit through the entire day. It is just an epic TV series. I know it hasn't captured your heart, Zara. I haven't tried that hard, though. Right. I just I just really, really love it. I think it is a testament to the idea that richer storytelling comes from telling a range of lived experiences. I think sex education does diversity and inclusion so well, and it makes for... One of the best TV series I have watched. I think it is such clever story writing. The acting is epic. I am just obsessed. I love it. Everyone who watches it is obsessed. It definitely sounds like something I would like. I've just got this like, instead of like a to be read, you know, stack of books Mm. on my side, I've got a whole bloody stack of TV shows I need to get through. And I'm not very quick at watching television. (laughs) Last week I said we were re-watching Morning Wars and we're up to episode four. (laughs) I blame Molly. (laughs) Don't worry. So do I. (laughs) Hey, let's get into the first segment today. 
We are talking, Zara, about Gabby Petito. This is a different kind of story for Shameless. It is that real intersection between pop culture and current affairs and, in this instance, true crime. But we actually couldn't put together an episode without touching on this. This was the biggest story around the world this week. Yeah, absolutely. It is the story that absolutely everyone is talking about. So for those who may not have seen the story or may have seen the headlines but still haven't grasped wholly what's going on, 22-year-old Gabby Petito was a travel blogger and influencer and she set off on a cross-country kind of road trip, one of those van life trips Mm. with her fiancé Brian Laundrie on July 2. Now, this is kind of part of what Gabby used to do, right, part and parcel with her job, which was document very much her travel experiences. Yeah, and eerily you can actually kind of go along on this trip across the country at various national parks because the couple, as influencers and bloggers, vlogged the entire thing. So you can look back on like a 10-minute video of them gallivanting across the country and looking like they're a young couple who has never been more in love. The vlog at the time of recording has more than 3.5 million views on YouTube. Now, at the end of August, so after setting out on this trip on July 2, by the end of August, almost two months later, Gabby stopped calling her family quite abruptly. On September 1st, so a couple of days after that contact ceased, Brian Laundrie returned home to Florida without Gabby, his fiancée. His family then hired an attorney and on September 11th, so after two weeks of no contact from Gabby, her family officially filed a missing persons report Police said they were then investigating Gabby's whereabouts, but that Brian and his family had, and I quote, not made himself available to be interviewed by investigators, nor provided any helpful details. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's around this time the story just got really, really bizarre, to be Mm. totally honest with you. I think the reason, and there are going to be multiple reasons why people were so pulled into this story, but one of them is just trying to work out how this story adds up. On September 14, so about two weeks after Brian returned home without Gabby, his family actually released a statement. They said, this is an extremely difficult time for both the Petito family and the Laundry family. I understand that a search has been organised for Miss Petito in or near Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. On behalf of the Laundry family, it is our hope that the search for Miss Petito is successful and that Miss Petito is reunited with her family. On the advice of counsel, the Laundry family is remaining in the background at this juncture and will have no further comment. Yeah, the day after that statement was released, So September 15, Brian was named a person of interest. The day after that, September 16, the case took another turn. Body cam footage from Utah police was released online, revealing that they had responded to an incident involving Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie on August 12. So I know the timeline's a little bit confusing. This was month-old body cam footage by this point, but what it shows was that police were responding to a domestic violence incident between the couple The footage showed that Gabby was crying uncontrollably, was sobbing and shaking, and they had to be separated from each other for the night. Yeah, it's quite distressing footage to look back and watch, to be honest, Mm. knowing at the time when everyone was watching this footage that she was missing. This was before she had been found dead. But watching this footage and watching how distressed she was was just so at odds with the picture of the trip that we were seeing on her vlog. Like Mm. we were seeing this incredibly beautiful but also incredibly ordinary trip together of this couple who seemed very in love and who seemed like they were having the time of their lives and suddenly you are offered 
other insight into their extreme fights, how desperately distraught she was. She Mm. was distraught and crying for hours and hours on end about this fight that they had allegedly had. Yeah. Now, the day after that footage is made public and goes viral on TikTok, Brian Laundrie disappears. So his family told police on September 17 that they had not seen Brian, who's 23, because he left their house to go hike in almost 25,000 acres of wilderness. His whereabouts at the time of recording is still unknown. Now, this is all happening. These bizarre headlines like now we have body cam footage. Now Brian Laundrie is missing. All come out at the same time as the hashtag Gabby Petito begins to trend on TikTok. More than 570 million video views have been racked up on that hashtag because suddenly you have a whole legion of people online, either people who followed Gabby Petito as an influencer or people who have come to this story a little bit later who are desperate to find out what the hell is going on. I'm really interested in how you both found out about this story because I found out about it on TikTok. Did you find out about it on TikTok? Yeah, I did. I found out through like explanation videos of people... I guess like amateur detectives, right, pointing out different things they had seen. I think the very first video I had seen was actually a woman giving a personal account of how she had Brian Laundrie in her car as a, what is it called, a hitchhiker and how he had paid her $200 and she had just seen these headlines and she connected the dots. That was the first time I came across it. When did you come across it, Annabelle? I came across it on Instagram, but I think it was like I saw regurgitated TikToks on Instagram. It's a really interesting one because I haven't seen anything like this in a really, really long time. We know that there are sort of amateur true crime sleuths who want to go back through other cases. I mean, we know it because of that documentary last year, Don't Fuck With Cat. Do you remember that? Going deep into the internet and how many people are really, really invested in crimes they're not connected with and don't even know anyone involved. But with this, this was the first time I'd seen it on an app like TikTok where people were creating videos and putting their own faces to their own theories. And it felt incredibly Black Mirror-esque. And it was like this double-edged sword, right? Because you've got, yes, all of these people who can offer so much help and so much insight to the case and also give it so much publicity. Mm. Like this just blew up because people were posting their own dash cam footage of traveling around similar areas saying, could this have been their van or could this have been where they're traveling? But just as equally, there is no doubt you've got a bunch of people on TikTok making videos for clout to try and get their own views up to kind of push their own theories into the universe and be deeply unhelpful in an investigation about a woman who is dead. Yeah, it feels like this bizarre layer of drama and social media virality on top of a very harrowing true story that is happening to a family right now. A lot of the footage, weirdly, Seems almost like it is a carbon copy out of Gone Girl. Yes. Like there are scenes on TikTok of just a swarm of media out the front of Brian Laundrie's home demanding that they know where Gabby is, calling out to the police, asking questions about the evidence. I don't think I've ever seen that happen in real life the way I've seen it play out right now. I think we're in a very interesting time in history where, of course, Gone Girl was done in 2014. It kind of touched on Facebook groups and social media a little bit. But now it is rampant that, yes, we have a police force where maybe 15 detectives are looking into this, but we have millions of people online who are dedicating hours at a time to trying to figure out what the hell is going on. Now, apparently some people online did help uncover crucial details about this case that led to police 
finding Gabby Petito's body. Unfortunately, she did die. That death was ruled as a homicide on September 21. But the people, bizarrely, played a huge role in this case. Yeah, and it absolutely poses a question of, like, why this case? Mm. Like, why this case when this is not the only missing person story this month? Like, unfortunately... Thousands of people go missing around the world every month. But the Gabby Petito case has seized the world unlike any other. There was a really interesting quote from criminologist Scott Bond who spoke to the Washington Post and he said, it's about our culture and our society. We place a priority on whiteness. We place a priority on youth and on our expectations of physical beauty. It absolutely has to be that intersection between white, blonde, influencer young right yeah absolutely has to and also that eerie eerie ability to be able to watch her life on YouTube and on Instagram in the weeks and months before this happened yeah and to see a kind of life play out on social media that does not match up at all with the reality of what we now know was going on behind the scenes. Gabby's also 22 years old and that's actually the average age of TikTok users. So she really sits in that band of the majority of people on this app. We know that we care about youth, but on TikTok, this is where people see themselves. They see themselves as Gabby Petito. They also care hugely about unraveling a case where I think women, I mean, I don't know if you guys will agree with me, but I think women have such an intense interest in some of these cases because in part you see yourself or you see your sisters or you see your friends. Well, I think it actually very strangely does kind of link to the conversation we were having at the end of last week's episode, which wasn't even talking about nearly anything this dark. But I think as a woman, you do see yourself in many different scenarios where you may be victimised or you may be put in a scenario that you don't want to be in. And of course, I think your empathy radar is through the roof Mm. simply because we are naturally and inherently self-centred beings who put ourselves at the centre of every other scenario. Yeah. Retired New York Police Department detective Michael Elkazar told the Washington Post in that piece as well, most agencies don't have that many detectives to canvas for witnesses, to canvas for any kind of evidence. Now we have so many eyes out there, millions of civilian investigators, because now they're on the lookout. It's kind of like an amber alert, but more effective. I find it really interesting that a former detective is depicting this as such a helpful thing. I mean, I agree on a lot of levels. Obviously, she has been found unfortunately dead, but this case has at least gained a lot of traction. They have found steps that they want to pursue. It would have been interesting to compare how this case would have unraveled if millions of TikTok users didn't throw their weight behind this. If 570 million people hadn't have watched these videos, how long would it have taken for this to be solved if it was solved at all? Coming up after the break, the Brownlow Blue Carpet begs a question about redemption stories and then who the hell is Emma Chamberlain and why is she widely regarded as the most popular girl in the world? But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the Rooflet and the Tourlet. I've been overwhelmed with demands asking for that one. Every time we do Your Say Friday, half of our respondents are just yelling at Zara to bring back Roughly and Tomley. It's so stupid. Who cares? Anyway. You care. You're oh, the one who introduced are it. Are you bloody kidding? I care. <laughs> I love that the people love it. Um, 
um, from the Celebrity and Pop Culture News Cycle. What have you got for me? My first story. Adele goes Instagram official with boyfriend Rich Paul. That is from Harper's Bazaar. I just care, guys. Adele reportedly went through a semi-messy divorce in 2019 from her ex-husband, Simon Konecki. They had a son together, Angelo. She has now reportedly found love with a new man. And I just care a lot about that. I deeply care about that. So she announced this new relationship via an Instagram photo dump, which actually genuinely does seem like the new way to announce a partner or a new boyfriend or girlfriend, whoever it might be, without really committing to it because the face is not on the grid. They call it a soft launch. (laughs) There are two ways to do a soft launch, but they change based on platform, I've decided. So Instagram soft launch is you have a partner who you are canoodling with, like three or four photos deep. A TikTok soft launch is you have a man's hand come into camera and like caress you. Like I've seen, oh um, yeah, I've seen a couple of TikTokers do this, and then everyone's guessing who the hand is. I watched a TikTok last night where a girl was matching famous men's hands to the hand of a man in a famous TikToker's video. Yeah, that's annoying. I don't mind the Instagram soft launch because it's more just like here's sort of a beach and here's what I've been doing over the last few weeks, and oh my god, I have a new partner, <laughs> <Surprise>. and bam. <laughs> I mean, J-Lo did it with Ben Affleck, even though we knew they were back together. But basically, they were photos from a wedding that Adele attended this week. It was the wedding of basketball player Anthony Davis. So the first two are of Adele's incredible outfit. The third is like this photo booth style photo of her cuddling up to a man named Rich Paul. Rich Paul, what a name. I know. Rich Paul. I think he would be. He's a sports agent for like some of the biggest basketball stars. He's the agent of not only Anthony Davis, whose wedding they were attending, but also LeBron James and Ben Simmons. So I think Rich Paul is quite rich. So he's actually rich, rich Paul. (laughs) Very rich, rich Paul. You are so welcome. Now, Adele's first link with rich, rich Paul two months ago when the couple attended the NBA finals together. So all very exciting. My favourite trivia question of all time, and I think this is good for anyone who's listening to Shameless and is ever putting together a quiz, what is Adele's last name? Adkins. Oh, right. This was on our work quiz, wasn't it? Yes. I think this is the best trivia question of all time because no one knows Adele's last name. (laughs) And I didn't even really segue or pivot at all. That was just (laughs) one big sentence that went from Richard Paul to Adele's last name. Anyway, we are very, very thrilled here at Shameless for extremely rich Adele and very rich Rich Paul. My second story. (laughs) Hotel quarantine staff are claiming there's a major celeb on The Masked Singer and huge if true. That's from Pedestal. TV. If I may break the fourth wall here, it has been a fucking slow news week. It has been a real struggle and not just for us, but every news outlet in the country really struggled this week. Pedestrian, shout out to you. We've noticed a couple of uh, articles. There was one article I read on their website and this was high up on their website this week where it was like, does anyone else remember this fucked moment between a television presenter and a rooster in like 2008? <laughs> like clearly the pedestrian editorial team are needing to be like, we need to drag stuff up from the archives, guys. And honestly, no, no disrespect shame. and no shame. This is, as two digital journalists, we know the struggle. <laughs> so this was one of the funniest stories I saw this week that really did portray how slow, especially the local news cycle was. So this was a story that was written in Pedestrian, but the original story was actually a new idea. Pedestrian have basically written around this story from New Idea, and this is a quote from the Pedestrian article. A sneaky source has told New Idea that apparently 
apparently there's a bloody huge Hollywood star <laughs> under one of the remaining costumes. Now, the story goes on to basically say absolutely nothing else. It basically says that there's just an A-list star that might have been in hotel quarantine and that we don't know who it is. That's I a love skill it. in itself. Well, this is clearly just creating absolute bullshit. Like the team at New Idea also knows it's a slow news week and they're like, well, let's throw out a lie that no one can prove is a lie. Like they can say A-lister and when it's revealed to the world that it's a kind of famous singer from maybe 15 to 20 years ago, New Idea can just turn around and be like, that's an A-lister, sure. Yeah, it does definitely kind of challenge your perception of what it means to be an A-lister. I mean, if you read Sportsbet and So Dramatic, this alleged A-lister is not my personal definition of an A-lister. I will leave it there for everybody else to do their own research to spoil the show for themselves. It's an international singer with 200,000 followers. I'm so sorry, but if you are an A-lister and you're international, you need to have like 2 million plus followers, surely. There is something I love so deeply about this show. Like I'm only catching snippets here or there. I don't sit in front of it religiously. But I just have such a deep soft spot for it. Like, you've got a fucking kebab singing (laughs) on national television. Like, because every year they need to have different characters, it almost feels like they're running out of things for people to be dressed up as. Pavlova was exposed last night. (laughs) Oh, my God, there's a baby. (laughs) That's kind of scary. A big baby. (laughs) This is getting weird. We're going to move on now. (laughs) My third story. What's next? Ugly truth about Ben Cousins Brownlow appearance. That is from Yahoo News. So for those who don't know who Ben Cousins is or who might need a bit of a refresher, Ben Cousins is considered one of the best football players of all time. He won a Brownlow medal. He played in a premiership side and was very widely considered as one of the big golden boys of AFL. In 2006, though, things started to go a little bit haywire when he was repeatedly involved in off-field incidents, particularly where drugs and alcohol were concerned. Mm. And ultimately, he was let go from West Coast. It cost him his career. Yeah, there are a couple of big chapters in the story of Ben Cousins. He was originally captain, got demoted from captain to just a regular player and then got let go from the team entirely. He formally retired from AFL in 2010 after a brief stint with Richmond. The following decade involved multiple trips to rehabilitation centres, multiple run-ins with the police involving but not limited to car chases, drug busts, violating apprehended violence orders, accusations of domestic violence as well. He spent much of 2017 and 2018 in prison on those charges, particularly pertaining to violence and stalking his ex-partner. As of 2020, he has reportedly violated an apprehended violence order taken out by his ex-partner more than 20 times. Yeah, so he actually appeared on the red carpet at the Brownlow this week, which was one of the first times that we'd actually seen him in public at an event like this, looking like his life was pretty much back together Mm. or as bad as much as back together as we can glean from a red carpet appearance. He had a new partner. He looked well put together. And a lot of people were really excited to see this. I mean, the legendary AFL coach Kevin Sheedy tweeted, great to hear an absolute champion of our great game. Ben Cousins is alive and well and is attending this year's Brownlow night and back in the AFL arena where he belongs. What's interesting, though, is how much we can celebrate the return of Ben Cousins, isn't it? Yeah. Look, a lot of people were really excited 
and took the tone that Kevin Sheedy did of like, look, a champion returns, our golden boy is back, we've never seen better news in our lives. And it's a very interesting discussion to have when drugs are involved as well, because of course, as we spoke in the Heath Ledger episode, huge sympathy and empathy goes out to anyone who has battled drug addiction or drug abuse. It is a mental illness and it needs to be discussed that way. But when someone's history involves them repeatedly stalking and behaving violently towards the women in their lives or anyone in their lives for that matter, how do we consider that? And what kind of redemption arc do we afford them? I really enjoyed Tara Rushton's comments on the back page, which is a show that aired on Tuesday night. She said, I mean, it is great to see someone get their life back on the straight and narrow, you would hope. He's had a long battle with mental demons, drug abuse. He's been in jail. The media really fed into this story. I just worry sometimes that we can romanticize the return and forget about the stalking charges that he had against him. I'm just thinking from the perspective of his partner and the kids that he has. Yeah, I think that's a really important perspective here because I agree with you, Mish. If this was just the return of someone who had battled drugs, I think the romanticization of that would be totally fair and fine. It's like, look at this person who's battled a really severe mental illness and been able to get back to the top. But this is not just that. Like, this is somebody who has been in jail for stalking. For inflicting extreme harm. Yeah. So I think it's a really important reminder that when we have these conversations, they need to be a little bit more nuanced. Yeah. My fourth story, Gillian Anderson's American accent at the Emmys shocks the internet. That is from news.com.au. A shout out to our sex education fans, (laughs) Annabelle Lee. Gillian Anderson, of course, plays Otis's mother, Jean, in the show. And she is iconic. She's also known if you haven't watched sex education, but you have watched The Crown. She's Margaret Thatcher. Yes, she has a very, very broad range of talent. She can play such a broad range of roles. Now, she spent the better part of two decades playing British characters, which is why it was so shocking, I guess, to see her get up and accept an award at the Emmys with an American accent. I was flabbergasted to see this woman with an American accent when her British accent is so believable and realistic. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I feel like this has kind of happened the entire award season. Gillian Anderson has been really, really well awarded. Regarded. (laughs) But actually awarded for this role as Margaret Thatcher in The Crown. She won a SAG award. I'm pretty sure she won a Golden Globe as well. And now she's just picked up an Emmy. So every time she got on the stage to speak, Twitter was alight with people being like, (laughs) hang on a second. She's American. She's not British. You're absolutely right though, Mish. She plays these characters so convincingly and so consistently that people just assume she's like a British national treasure (laughs) when she's not. Now, what I found hilarious is I was reading a news.com piece about this and news.com were kind of including commentary from many different people on Twitter and they quoted someone as saying this. She's multi-biodialectical, one fan explained, using a possibly made-up term. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, what do you mean? You can't just quote someone and then be like, we don't know if this word is real or not. We're not going to check if it's real or not. We're just going to put it in there and let you decide. Biodialectical. What does that even mean? I was going to praise you on that pronunciation as well. I was looking at that word being like, what the fuck is that? I've never heard that word in my life. Multi-bi-dialectical. Yeah, maybe I didn't even get it right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I just thought that was quite funny. Now, the Emmys, as we said, were last week. Not a huge story around the Emmys. They couldn't have the kind of massive production that they usually have. I also think, as we've had a conversation about multiple times on this podcast, there 
there is sort of a waning relevance for mm. awards shows as the time goes on. The Crown was a huge winner on the night. They won seven trophies more than any other show. Ted Lasso was the favourite comedy series of the night. I'm looking at you, Annabelle, because you just look like a Ted Lasso fan. No, I want to watch it, but I haven't. I do <gasps> love Jason Sudeikis because I'm an SNL fan and he was right. on SNL. I haven't watched Ted Lasso. Have you? I'm desperate. Maybe we all need to get together. November 5, first night out of lockdown. We all get together and we all watch Ted Lasso I together. need to watch an episode of this. Everyone says it's the most heartwarming show ever. It's the sports aspect that's putting me off a little is bit. It, is what? it sporty? It sport. I think so. I actually am going to fact check that. <laughs> is this like the time that Olivia Coleman was... Uh... Yeah, yeah. We're all trying. <laughs> Forget about it. Yeah. Ooh. Ted Lasso is a football coach. That's okay. okay. I liked Friday Night Lights and Same. that was, you know, all about football and stuff. The other big shows that won were The Queen's Gambit, Mayor of Easttown. Now, The Handmaid's Tale had 21 nominations, came away with zero awards. Oh, that's Ooh. sad. That is a bit sad. I think a few other things that are important to note about the Emmys as well is Michaela Cole finally took away a gong for I May Destroy You as she was very famously and oddly snubbed by the Golden Globes. She was the first black woman to win in her category. But despite a record number of non-white creators being nominated in the acting and actually the reality hosting category, none of the performance awards, not one, went to an actor of colour. So so as we said at the top of this segment, the relevance of awards shows seems to be waning. I mean, every single time it comes back to the same thing where it's like this doesn't seem to be a very fair and accurate representation of what is on television right now and who is doing really well. Yeah, absolutely. My fifth and final story for today's Quick and Dirty, Kim Kardashian confirms when the new Hulu show comes out. That is from Kardashian Dish <laughs> <laughs> because transparency again, breaking the fourth wall again. We watched Kim Kardashian's interview on the Ellen DeGeneres show. Yes, it's still running for those amongst us who are concerned and confused. It's still running. It's just not airing in Australia, which is why we rarely ever hear about Ellen these days. Kim Kardashian went on Ellen and gave everyone the impression that the Keeping Up With The Kardashians franchise is not dead in the water like they led us to believe. It's just that no one wrote about this. The only place we could find was KardashianDish.com. <laughs> I, I found this article and I was like, we have to use this as a headline. And Michelle's like, I would rather make up a headline than use Kardashian dish. But alas, I fought for it and it's in. <laughs> this is going to be the first time a Kardashian fan blog has made it onto Shameless. Now, you're absolutely right, Mish. Kim Kardashian was on Ellen and Ellen basically said... What's the deal with your new big deal with Hulu? As we know, Keeping Up With Kardashians ended this year. They did like a whole reunion special to kind of talk about the closing of the chapter. They all just said it was time, that it was time for something different. At that time, it was also announced that they'd signed a massive production deal with Hulu. But they'd always given us the impression that it was going to be something a bit different. It was never like we're going to produce the same reality show again. It was like we've signed a TV deal with Hulu. We don't know what it's going to be yet. Yeah, well, the wording was the Kardashians have signed a deal for global content for Hulu. And they continually said on the show, we're sick of filming. Courtney doesn't want to be on camera. Kendall and Kylie don't really want to be on camera. So it makes sense to wrap this up. I assumed it would be a deal with Hulu that's similar to Meghan and Harry's deal with Netflix. That's what I thought too. Yeah, where it's like Meghan and Harry behind the scenes, but here's a documentary about something that's not really related to their personal lives whatsoever. Yeah, so Ellen asked Kim Kardashian, what's going to change about this show? And then Kim said, 
I don't even think we even know yet. You know us, so much happens in our lives all the time that we can't really predict, but I think that we've made a commitment as a family to be as open and honest as possible. She said that filming will begin in America's fall, that it will also have a really quick turnaround, so it will air pretty soon after. So she basically has admitted that the whole family are just being filmed again. It's just another reality show, which is fine, totally fine. I just feel a bit led down the garden path. Yeah, well, I feel like... I really swallowed the Kool-Aid or drank the Kool-Aid of keeping up with the Kardashians is going when really the Kardashians, in my opinion anyway, just wanted a bigger paycheck, decided to leave E. I wonder if it was a term of their contract with the E network that they had to speak about this in a certain way, that keeping up with the Kardashians was ending, the format they were currently doing was changing forever. When in reality, I don't think that's the case. I think we're just going to get keeping up with the Kardashians under a slightly different name, probably just keeping up or something or similar. Or Kardashian dish. No, I, think, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually think that someone else owns that IP. No, I think what's clearly happened here is E obviously owns the entire IP of this TV show. So they've had to pretend essentially that it's completely ending when in reality they have just probably sought a bigger paycheck because their TV show is worth so much money. They'll just call it something different, but the entire kind of contents of the TV show will be the same. I'm just really confused because when I watched the reunion special, they were basically talking like Courtney has wanted to end this show for ages. She's tired of being filmed. Mm. She doesn't like the experience. And I thought that's what they all came to together. Yeah, like it's time for a new chapter. We want some more privacy. Yeah, It sounds like we're going to be more open with the audience than ever. (laughs) Privacy is going out the window. So watch this space. If it's what, American Fall month math again. I did say American Fall with absolutely zero idea what (laughs) months that meant. American Fall is, wait, what? September, October, November. So she's telling us on Ellen that they have no idea what the show is going to be, but it's going to be airing in a couple of months. They don't know what, no. She said we don't know what's going to be different about it, which is code for nothing. Okay. I think that's all for today. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you, next bitch. It has been a huge month for the world's biggest YouTube star, Emma Chamberlain. She's the current face of Louis Vuitton's latest shoe collection, made her debut at this year's Met Gala, and also was given the gig of hosting all of Vogue's interviews on the red carpet. With 10 million subscribers on YouTube, 14 million followers on Instagram, 10 more million on TikTok, her own brand of fair trade coffee, a podcast by the name of Anything Goes, and the moniker, thanks to Cosmo magazine, of the most popular girl in the world, Emma Chamberlain is redefining exactly what it means to be a celebrity in 2021. So what is it about the YouTuber that makes her so bloody successful and famous? And why is it that half of our listeners are obsessed with her and half don't even know her name? Mish, Take us back to the start. How did any of this come to be? Well, Emma was born in San Francisco. She actually dropped out of school at the age of 16. Her video explaining that decision to leave after her junior year is one of her most popular videos of all time. After leaving school as a teenager, she moved to LA in 2018 at the age of 17 by herself, so away from her parents already. She grew very, very quickly. And to be honest, I've been a big fan of Emma Chamberlain for quite some time. And I even as a big fan have struggled to put a finger on exactly why I love her. I just know that I love her. And that's about it. Yeah. And I think the reason we wanted to do this firstly, because she's everywhere. But secondly, you and I have had so many conversations back and forth, Mish, about how she is completely redefining 
what celebrity looks like mm. in a way that she, the content that she puts out has been very different to what we've seen in a long time, but also the kind of celebrity she is is very different. And you and I keep being like, what is it about Emma that we love so much that has led to this enduring star power? Now, what's really interesting is we put up some polls on our Instagram story yesterday to get a sense of where our audience kind of sit in this sort of sphere. Like, are they really obsessed with Emma Chamberlain? Do they know who she is? I was pretty blown away by these stats, Mitch. I was so shocked because we always guess before we put these up, we're like, what do you think it's going to be? Because we're really cool like that. And I thought 65% would know who she was and 35% didn't. Yeah, it was actually 45% said they knew who she was and 55% said they didn't. And only 19% of people polled follow her on YouTube, on Instagram. So Emma Chamberlain, to me, straddles this really interesting generational line of being really, really, really well-known to a certain group of people and not at all well-known to some. And we've got to talk to all of these people today, Mish, about yeah. Emma Chamberlain. Yeah. And she also really has her own style. There was an article by Rebecca Jennings for Vox where she was described as not just the most popular girl on relatable YouTube, but it's inventor. So she has this style of video where you sit down and you feel like it's all just kind of been hastily thrown together. You're just watching a girl kind of potter around her apartment, sometimes do drawings, sometimes throw outfits together, slurp on coffee, eat food, chill in bed. Like not much happens on Emma Chamberlain's YouTube videos. And yet you find yourself watching one after the other, after the other, after the other, because there's something that's hard to pin down about them, but that does not mean they're not comforting. They are some of the most comforting YouTube videos I have ever watched. Yeah. If I was to describe what work she actually does on YouTube, it is like the most unassuming kind of content anyone can possibly produce, but it's incredibly skillful content. It does, again, straddle this really interesting line between being unassuming, but really clever. There are some days where she literally doesn't get out of bed and so calls the YouTube video bed. Yeah. And she just sort of like has this external monologue that just falls out of her to the camera where she just kind of talks about her thoughts or what's going through her mind. Maybe it's what she's going to buy at the supermarket later that day and she rattles off her shopping list. Mm. Like it can be as unassuming as that and yet it is so incredibly comforting as you say. Yeah I think as well with Emma the more I've tried to dive into why I love her or why so many people find her interesting I think one explanation is there is such a big paradox at play in that Emma Chamberlain is a young woman who thrifts half of her clothes. She loves going to op shops, she loves being really creative with the kind of vintage things that she finds there while also being an ambassador and the face for Louis Vuitton's accessories. She makes millions of dollars a year and has purchased a $5 million apartment before, but accessorizes like a very approachable teenager. She has a nose ring in all the time. She can spend up to 30 hours editing one YouTube video, she told the New York Times, but those YouTube videos look like they have been thrown together in a really cut and paste way. She's a high school dropout, but at the age of 20 is interviewing the biggest celebrities in the world on the red carpet. There is a lot going on here that makes Emma Chamberlain the perfect intersection between approachable and aspirational. What's really interesting is when we were talking about Molly May on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, this is when we brought Emma Chamberlain up because we were talking about how highly engaged Molly May's following is. And we said on the show... The only person she is second to that we can basically find is Emma Chamberlain. Emma Chamberlain was the only woman who beat Molly May in terms of audience engagement. Her engagement is insane. And I do really feel like 
her videos kind of overlap between reality TV and doco style content. Mm. I feel like young people are really invested in reality television and really invested in documentaries. But the difference here is there's like no fourth wall between Emma and her audience. She basically talks to you and at you as if you're just having a one-on-one conversation. Young people love reality television, but I think we're getting really frustrated with reality television because of the kinds of characters we're seeing on it. The format is what we love. The people are who we're getting frustrated by, as we spoke about a couple of months ago, Mish. This kind of flips that on its head because it's like we've got all the good parts about reality TV and documentary style content, no fourth wall and a character we absolutely adore. I think we also feel that with influencers at large. I certainly feel like when I'm following people online, I am seeing a certain filter thrown on their lives that is absolutely not at all the reality. And I think a lot of people feel that. A lot of people feel like the people they follow online overly edit their photos, put a filter on their face every time they jump on their Instagram stories, give us this meticulously curated highlight reel that is completely fake. And yet with Emma Chamberlain, you don't see that. She doesn't opt into the filter. She doesn't opt into the crazy editing. She will show you everything and there is no bias towards highlights and lowlights. What's really interesting as we're talking about Emma Chamberlain is it's kind of like the antidote to actually what we see with every other influencer. With every other influencer we see, especially on Instagram, is we see their social life, their family life. We see all the glittery parts of what's going on. With Emma Chamberlain, we basically just see the mundane. We see her and her house like 90% of the time Mm. by herself doing absolutely nothing. We have no real insight into who she hangs out with. We never really have insight into who she's dating. We see her parents sometimes, but that's like so wholesome and lovely. But we don't see what we see with other influencers. I think there's always a wall up and an understandable wall, I think Mm. too. I think a lot of people are like, yes, I will share my life but you still don't really know who I am. And I think, to be honest, you and I would do that too, to be like, I'll share about as much as I feel comfortable with, but the rest is mine and that's kind of how I want to play this. Mm. Emma Chamberlain is like, there's not much of a wall here. Like I will kind of tell you everything that's going on in my mind but not show you any of the glittery stuff. It's odd. But then you see the glittery stuff on the Met Gala and you get really confused. (laughs) Well, I think what really confused us in a good way, as I said, I'm an Emma Chamberlain fan. I think what she's cultivated is incredible and if anything, boggling, like mind boggling, because I still can't understand it, is that when she was on the red carpet interviewing celebrities, Kendall Jenner was walking up to her and greeting her like a friend. You showed me this video, Zara, where Kendall Jenner is basically welcoming her with open arms. And you and I turned to each other and went, wow, how bizarre that Kendall Jenner knows Emma Chamberlain, but they're friends. You just wouldn't see that on her videos. Yeah. So there's this really interesting thought process I had when I saw this video, because what basically happened is a couple of weeks ago, I can't remember where I saw this video. I can't remember if it was an Instagram story, a TikTok or whatever, but I think there was a table of people like Kendall Jenner and Hailey Bieber sitting around having drinks. And someone was going around being like, who's your favorite YouTuber? And Hayley Bieber goes, Emma Chamberlain. And Kendall Jenner goes, Emma Chamberlain. Um, (laughs) Is that your Kendall Jenner She always calls her Emma. Emma. (laughs) Anyway, that's like totally not relevant. And and I was like, oh, my God, how good for Emma Chamberlain. This is so dumb, by the way. I will put my hands (laughs) up and say this is a dumb thought process. But I was like straight away. Go Emma Chamberlain. Like how amazing that Hayley Bieber and Kendall Jenner sit in front of her YouTube stuff and watch it. And then I was watching the Met Gala stuff and watching the interview between Emma Chamberlain and Kendall Jenner. And Kendall Jenner walks up and is like, oh, my God, Emma. And then Kendall Jenner's designer from Givenchy walks up and is like, oh, my gosh, Kendall's been so worried about you and so um, nervous for you. How are you going? And I was like... Kendall Jenner's favourite YouTuber is Emma Chamberlain, not because she watches her stuff, but because they probably hang out. I'm an Mm. idiot, but what a bloody genius Emma Chamberlain is 
for cultivating this world where I don't automatically assume that she lives and works in these glitzy parts of Hollywood. Yeah, well, it's an interesting thing because I wonder if with a lot of influencers, they are trying to prove themselves. Like they're trying to prove to the world that they have reached a certain level of success where they are rubbing shoulders with the biggest celebrities, the biggest designers, the biggest brands. With Emma Chamberlain, she doesn't feel the need to prove anything to anyone. If she did, she would show us hanging out with Kendall Jenner. She would show us hanging out with these celebrities, going to these meetings with these massive brands, buying the $5 million apartment. She doesn't feel the need to prove anything to anyone, so she doesn't feel the need to show us that, and that is part of why we find her so likable. I think another element to her likability, I wonder if you'll agree with this, Annabelle is a long-term Emma fan, is that Emma has vocally struggled with mental illness. So she struggled to get out of bed for patches of time in her teenage years, particularly when she was going to school. She vocally struggled with certain institutions or structures and it really reminded me of the Billie Eilish story. A lot of teenagers and young people, particularly young women, found themselves or saw a part of themselves in Billie Eilish because Billie Eilish felt and was experiencing the things that they were. And I think when Emma Chamberlain comes out and says, look, this didn't work for me. I was deeply unhappy, but I found an outlet and that outlet was creativity. And I happened to have incredibly switched on compassionate, caring parents who fostered that within me. People watch that and go, wow, that is my dream. Like I also feel that stress. I also feel that internal pain. And I want to go and do that. I want to be able to carve out my own path. Like this is a woman who went against that particularly American narrative of success is graduating high school and going to college. She's someone who went, actually, I'm going to drop out of high school at 16 and look at where I am at the age of 20. I think it speaks a lot to how many young people feel a general sense of angst. Like I can't think of another way to put it, but I think young people are feeling a lot of angst at the moment and there is a lot that they see themselves in both Billie Eilish Mm. and Emma Chamberlain. I think that comparison is really strong. Maggie Zhao, who is a writer for Refinery29, she also writes for our newsletter, wrote a really interesting piece for MTV about it being Emma Chamberlain's world and we are all just living in it. And she made a really interesting point. She said, with Emma's lack of voice when it comes to political and social justice issues, it makes me wonder if it's just a strategic move to avoid confrontation and keep her shiny image intact. But do I blame her? No. Watching her YouTube contemporaries fall over like chess pieces proves to be a warning enough for what happens when someone steps out of line. And besides, I watch Emma to take a break from the big, bad, terrifying world. I don't expect to get my political news from a YouTuber whose videos revolve around fast food taste tests and attempting TikTok dances. Now, I don't think it's fair to say that Emma Chamberlain is apolitical. She's definitely done work in the past around the Black Lives Matter movement, but she is not particularly political. And I wonder if this does kind of fly in the face of stuff we've argued before on this podcast, Mish, which is in order to cultivate a following. You have to stand for something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, super interesting because I think we were at a point in 2018 when we began the show and we spoke so much about our expectations of influencers. We were at a point where people wanted the influencers that they were supporting by buying products, buying merch, whatever, to have some kind of stance. I think Emma does fit that criteria. She's just very sparing with when she does it. And I think as well, there's certainly an argument for content that makes people feel happy and makes them feel comforted and that being enough. Like I think maybe in the past, we overstated the importance of everyone sharing a political opinion or having a political message. When in reality, you are serving a lot of people 
simply by making them feel a little bit lighter and a little bit happier and carrying on their day with a little bit more comfort. I think there's certainly an argument for decency here. Like I think with the people that we follow, we need to kind of get a sense, at least I do, that they are decent people who have similar ideas about right and wrong than Mm. I do. And that if push comes to shove, would stand for something rather than pretend that it's not their job. Like I still think we need some element of that, Mm. but maybe not as much as we've sort of argued before. It's really interesting. I mean, I might get here another example in a couple of months and flip again. I think it's, it's a really hard one, but I think with Emma Chamberlain, what's been most interesting about this is I asked so many different people who follow Emma and who love Emma that I know what it was they loved about her and very rarely could they put their finger on it. And I thought that is the genius of Emma Chamberlain is being able to create this incredible brand that people don't think too much about. And that's probably the best thing ever. Annabelle, you love Emma Chamberlain. Why do you think you love her? Well, I think she's got this like chill, cool vibe, but also her honesty brings her community closer. I really love reading her YouTube video comments Mm. because there is like not a hint of negativity in there, which is really rare. Most of the time when influencers put out content on YouTube, there's a lot of people speaking out against certain little things that they do, like little things that irritate them. But on Emma Chamberlain's YouTube profile, there's none of that. And then I watched all of her Met Gala videos where she interviewed celebrities and her fans had gone there and just spread support. And they were like, we're so proud of you. Like your social anxiety is like so at bay here. (laughs) And it's just lovely to see. And I've never seen it with anyone else before. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are very few people I've seen it with, which is a huge credit to her because she is very, very good at what she does. And she seems like, again, I think for me, a really decent person, which is what I look for. And she's 20. I know. Like it just boggles my brain to think that this woman is so young and has achieved so much. She was being profiled by the New York Times at the age of 18. So two years ago, the New York Times were writing profiles on her. But guys, that is all we've got time for today. We cannot wait to hear your thoughts on this. There is going to be so many more thoughts. We know we simply cannot possibly cover everything that is so great about Emma Chamberlain in about 20 minutes. Let's cover a human being in 20 minutes. (laughs) It's just not possible. If you aren't a part of our book club, may I suggest you become part of our book club? Book club. We are releasing an episode on Saturday. The book is You and Me on Vacation. I can already tell we haven't spoken about it, but I can tell there are some differing opinions around the table. So we can't wait to chat about that one. You can follow us on Instagram at The Shameless Book Club. We would love to have you there and listening on Saturday, of course. Annabelle, anything to add? I'll be there too on Saturday. We <laughs> <laughs> can't wait. Thank you so much, guys. We'll see you soon. Bye. Hi guys, Shameless Media's video producer Charlotte here. I'm abruptly popping up at the end of this episode to tell you about a new series I've been working on called The Tastemakers. It lives on the Shameless Book Club feed and the series explores the inspiration and motivation of Australia's most trusted tastemakers. Hosted by the wonderful Gemma Diamond and spanning across six episodes, we'll hear about everything from beauty to lifestyle and food. One of my favourite episodes to film was with Maggie Zhao. She's such a bookworm and she offered up some really interesting in-depth insights that I really loved. It's so good to see Gemma and Maggie sit down and talk about books and they just had such a fantastic chemistry on the day that when we were shooting, I just knew that this was a good episode. Oh my God. So do you know how we talk about social media and it's like, yeah, like an overnight success, like this person, you know, overnight literally gained a million followers, right? So think of that and now think of the opposite of that. (laughs) And that is me. 
Tastemakers is made for anybody who is looking for a slice of inspiration from influential women who are ready to offer up their expertise. Search for The Shameless Book Club in your favourite podcast app now, have a listen, and make sure to click follow so you don't miss your next favourite episode.